I'm Marita Noon, Executive Director of Energy Makes America Great, Inc., and the companion educational organization, the Citizens Alliance for Responsible Energy. Each week I have the opportunity to interview a variety of experts specifically on the topic of the column that I wrote that week. This week my column is called Campaign 2016, Nobody Cares About Climate Change. Now it's an interesting topic. In this past week there was so much news to address. We had first the President's announcement of a $10 a barrel tax on oil, his proposal, which of course has no chance of making it through Congress. Then his full budget was released, and his full budget included a permanent extension of the tax credits for wind and solar energy. And of course, we've addressed those tax credits many times here on America's Voice for Energy. Then the next day, we had the Supreme Court decision that came out saying that uh, the Supreme Court was putting a hold, an unprecedented activity, putting a hold on the President's clean power plan. However, I chose not to write on any of those topics because they all got a lot of press coverage. And as you know, I like to address things that are kind of undercovered. Late last week, someone in my network sent me an article from Politico, the Inside the Beltway publication, Politico, and it was about a caucus, a political caucus, they call it, a group of people that answer questions for them that are political insiders. And these people, Republicans and Democrats, were commenting on the fact that the climate change was just a total non-issue in this campaign. Well, it had been a while since I've written on climate change, and that piqued my interest. So my first three guests today are members of that Politico caucus. My first guest in particular is Catherine Templeton. And I watched a video that included Catherine at a Politico caucus event in South Carolina, which is where Catherine hails. She is currently president of Brawley Templeton, but more uh, relevant to the topic today, under N Governor Nikki Haley, she is the former director of the Department of Health and environmental control. So, Catherine, I appreciate you taking your time out of your schedule to join us today on America's Voice for Energy. Thank you for having me. So you're a part of this Politico caucus. I never even heard of it before, but then when I looked through the, the people that were a part of the uh, survey that I kind of based my column on, they're people from the first four uh, states, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada, and I knew someone else uh, in Nevada that I actually talked to about it as well, Chuck Muse. So can you t explain for our listeners what this little group is? You know, it, it was very interesting how it came to me. Um, South Carolina is a, a very small state and almost like a small town, not just geographically small. And um, despite who each of us may or may not be supporting for the presidential primary, we're a very close-knit group. Um, so one of the other, um, I guess, caucus members 
called and said, would you be willing to share your insights with this group? And if you look at the South Carolina group, it, it really is, um, they're not political operatives necessarily, but they are people in the know. I mean, in, in South Carolina, we know our presidents. We have dinner with our presidents. We, um, we socialize with our presidents because they're all here, you know, for this first in the South primary every time. And um, from the, the Politico perspective, you know, they, they do not publish. They will they'll put our quotes in there, but they don't, um, they, don't, they don't give any indication who quoted or who said what. But we take a survey after every debate. Um, whenever anything um, interesting happens, we'll get a survey request. And we have to put our name in. And we have to self-identify. Um, if we're a Republican or a Democrat in South Carolina, you know, Nevada, Iowa, and who we are currently supporting. So, you know, for full disclosure, I'm on Jeb Bush's statewide, um, you know, board. And so every time I go in, I have to, you know, I tell them that, and then they can take my comments for what they're worth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it was interesting because you said they, they, I, I was under the understanding that you all answer the questions anonymously. Well, we they don't. I don't think they ever tell anybody who said what. And oh, okay. Um, and and so from a public perspective, it is anonymous. But you know, anything that you put, I think if you put your name on it on the internet, it's on you know, or on a in an email, I think your name's on it. So somebody knows. Yeah. <laughs> but true. But, you true. Know, there's a feeling of anonymity. Well, it was interesting because when I read the article, um, there were. I tried to get a hold of, like, the whole data set from the survey. You know, like, I would have liked to have more comments to work with, and that's how I came across the video of you and several others at this event, this Politico event in South Carolina. I was digging around the Politico site hoping to find, not, not with names, of course, but just more comments than they chose to put in that one article. I was looking for, you know, a little deeper information on that. But the video that I watched with you and and uh, David Wilkins, Ambassador Wilkins, and with um, Mike McKenna was, was very insightful because it had their, I mean, you can kind of tell, having read the article, you kind of tell, oh, okay, this is what Mike McKenna said. You know, <laughs> even though it was anonymous in the article, I mean, I'm pretty sure those were his his quotes about that climate change just doesn't register on any surveys. And we're going to talk with him later in the show about surveys. But I, I found um, the insights to be, to be uh, well, they were insightful. Right, right. Well, and I think what does register in South Carolina, um, you know, when you say climate change, it's very, very polarizing. And um, usually, you know, if, if we're honest, usually the the – the common voter, I mean, the you know, the, the person who has more important things to do right now today, whether it's get to work, get the kids to school, whatever it is, um, climate change resonates on an emotional level, usually. And I don't think if you asked anyone on the street to give you chapter and verse on the details of the scientific studies for and against climate change, you'd be very successful at getting answers. So in South Carolina, when you say climate change, it usually runs along party lines as to whether people even believe it or don't believe it. Um, you know, the, the sea rise is, is not a popular thing to talk about. Greenhouse gases is not a popular thing to talk about if you don't believe that there is climate change. But, but interestingly, 
in South Carolina and during this primary, that's not a conversation. It doesn't affect us where we live. What affects us where we live is any type of change to our utility bill, quite frankly. And yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I know that, that we're not talking about the Supreme Court um, decision um, very, very much today, but one thing that South Carolina... No, well, you've got experience with it, so definitely please <laughs> feel free to, to put that in, because it is a big news item this week, that's for, this past week, that's for sure. Well, when, when I was at the Department of Health and Environmental Control, um, the, the woman in charge of the air program, Myra Reese, who is now in charge of all environments for South Carolina, and is incredible, she created the model for the United States on how to bring stakeholders together. So we sat in a room, a big room, with utilities, with environmentalists, with the, the natural gas um, industry, with solar, wind, um, offshore drilling, you name it. We sat in a room to try to figure out how we were going to comply with this rule while I sat in a different room in, you know, in the federal spectrum and fought against the rule, period, because it was an overreach. But yeah. But South Carolina is unique in a number of ways in this particular situation because, number one, despite the fact that I sat with the EPA on numerous occasions, and, and they've recognized this, despite my pushback on the overreach, they also lauded. I mean, I got a call from, from, the, um, from the regional director. She said, I'm giving you a hug over the phone. Thank you for being pragmatic. I, I understand that you don't agree, but you all have created the model in the nation on how to deal with this pragmatically, but here's the other thing that was so, so painful for South Carolina, and, and we, it, it matters to the voter. South Carolina shut down its coal facilities. South Carolina invested tens of millions of dollars in new nuclear, billions with Georgia, in new nuclear clean energy. And as a result, South Carolina alone changed the balance on the checkbook for the entire nation. You know, we, 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 we were, we are, we shut down more coal plants than anyone else, and as a percentage for the nation, the highest percentage, and we're the only ones investing in new nuclear. So, you know, that, that, all of that has really been a shift, and it will be felt in every home in South Carolina with the rate changes. I mean, it's expensive. And the rate still. changes are, are going to be roughly what? I don't know. We don't know yet. The, the, the public service... I mean, I assume they're going to be an, an, increase, an increase. Absolutely, yes. Oh, they're, I mean, they're, they've been an increase everywhere with the uh, forced implementation of higher per, uh, percentage of renewables. They've co provided rate, rate increases everywhere from 50% to some places uh, their bills have doubled. Absolutely. And, and what the South Carolina utilities have done to try to assuage that pain for, for our citizens is they agreed in our last legislative session at the state level, they agreed to a solar bill that allows um, residents and businesses to choose solar if they need to. From an economic perspective, their, their tax cuts or tax, tax incentives for that but here's the important thing that we all have to remember. As, as great as the sunshine is, as free as the sunshine is, it's not a load base. In other words, right. in other words it's, it's fabulous when the sun is out, but you still have to have that nuclear energy. You still have to have 
um, the nuclear facilities that are constant and reliable. Or the, or the coal if you're in a different state since, you, since yours have been shut down. Absolutely, absolutely. And we have another dynamic in South Carolina that's, that's gotten um, a lot of attention. We have, a, and it's actually a, a, a group from North Carolina, has come down and, and they're really making a lot of hay about coal ash. Um, they're trying to make it a hazardous material, and it's not. Oh, you know, I had someone on a few weeks ago with the president or the executive director of the American Association of Coal Ash or whatever it was. Fascinating education on coal ash. We've got about Absolutely. one minute left, Catherine. Okay, well, I won't go down that road, but um, I, I think... <laughs> I'd love to go down that road. I, I wish too. we had more time. I would, too, but I think what you're seeing from the presidential in, in South Carolina right now from a Republican perspective is that the presidential is really about all of the above for energy, whatever is best, and we can't forget to play long ball from a national security perspective with oil and gas as well because don't, rem don't forget, President Obama has still not... Um, put the oil back into the reserves that he depleted in order to um, reduce costs. And so, we, you know, we're dependent now. If the Middle East decides that they want to jack up prices tomorrow, we don't even have the reserves now in the United States under this administration. So, you know, I, I think that's bearing itself out a little bit in the, in the electorate. Well, interesting topic, Catherine. I'm so glad that we got acquainted through this exercise, and I'm sure we will we will talk again uh, because uh, we're obviously following some of the very same issues. Well, it was my pleasure. I'd love to I'd love to go down a lot of these roads with you anytime. <laughs> All right, I appreciate it. We've been talking with Catherine Templeton, president of Brawley Templeton in South Carolina. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the excuse me, the 2016 campaign and specifically climate change. We'll be right back with our next guest. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or 
give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we're talking about climate change specifically, but really what we're looking at is climate change as a campaign issue, or as the case may be, a non-campaign issue. In this segment, we're going to talk with Ambassador David Wilkins, former ambassador to Canada from the United States. And we're going to, of course, part of this conversation that's going to come up is the Keystone Pipeline. But Ambassador Wilkins was part of the Politico Caucus that we talked with Catherine Templeton about in the last segment. He was one of the featured guests there in South Carolina last week. So we're going to start by talking about that experience. Ambassador Wilkins, welcome to America's Voice for Energy. Well, thank you very much. It's a, it's a real pleasure and privilege to be uh, be with you. Well, I'm honored to have someone of your stature. Now, I've only given your introduction as uh, ambassador, uh, former ambassador from the United States to Canada, but you have many other qualifications uh, dealing with the energy world as well. Well, I, I have a great interest in that, and I've obviously dealt with it a great deal during my time in Canada and and. Since then, have been involved on a professional level with uh, uh, people and entities and companies uh, in Canada that uh, right in the middle of the uh, the energy uh, sector. You know, I've often talked about the the Keystone Pipeline issue. I've written on it many times. I've spoken at rallies. Uh, for the Keystone Pipeline and so forth. And, in fact, at one time uh, there was a rally at Albuquerque that I was kind of the opening speaker for. And at the time, um, uh, Canadian Council Gen- Consulate General uh, Paula Caldwell-St. Ange, who I know is no longer in that position, but she was the, the main speaker at that event. But I've often said about the Keystone Pipeline that poor TransCanada, when they applied for this pipeline, and I've talked to TransCanada folks as well about this, probably never imagined that this one little pipeline, uh, one one more pipeline crossing our border when we already have dozens, that I'm sure they never imagined it was going to turn into this political football. Well, they had no I don't believe they had any idea. Would I, no one had any idea. We, we have roughly 70 pipelines crossing our borders between Canada and the U.S., uh, why would the 71st one uh, cause such an uproar? In fact, it didn't uh, during the first uh, year or so of the application process. And then the environmentalist uh, base of the Democratic Party decided to make it the litmus test for whether or not President Obama was really an environmentalist and going to uh, to toe the line uh, with them on this. And that's when, you know, the, all the, the movie stars came out, the people started protesting, and all of a sudden it became a... A huge issue, and obviously, uh, you know, one of the purposes of that whole movement was to shut down the oil sands and, and uh, prevent people from producing oil uh, in Alberta uh, in the oil sands. Obviously, that's not going to happen. The, the production, uh, even with the price of uh, oil dropping so dramatically in the last year, is, is still continuing. And now, simply that oil is being shipped by rail, which is much more. Uh, prone to accidents. Uh, sure. 
and, sure. and then then by pipeline. The safest way to ship oil in the world is by pipeline, and so and it's also produces the less uh, less uh, greenhouse gas emissions uh, than by shipping it by rail or by ship, and so uh, it's going to continue. The um, the, the the rail production has increased dramatically in the last year, as 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 has the number of accidents with rail um, moving oil. So um, that's when it became a big issue, and and then uh, this permit permitting process, which usually takes about two and a half years, took over six years. Uh, the Obama administration punted uh, right before the 2012 election. Uh, many of my Democratic friends assured me that it was going to be. Uh, uh, approved, but it was just a matter of uh, a political convenience to push it into the second term. Uh, and then we got close to the 2014 midterms, and the same philosophy prevailed, and it was pushed past that. And uh, you had a Secretary of State who said at the time that she was predisposed to uh, inclined to um, to, to uh, grant the permit or approve it. Obviously, it was ultimately the president's call, although the Secretary of State is the one that has to actually issue it. And, and so, and then on the campaign trail the last uh, year or so, uh, in the Democratic primary, she got pressure from the left and came out very strong against it. Uh, and then, of course, Obama, um, I think in November, uh, finally rejected it. But uh, in my opinion, it's a, a, a great example of uh, politics trumping good, sound public policy. It was the ultimate cop Yes, out. and that's what, I quote, that's what I quoted you about in my column because you said that at the Politico uh, caucus event in South Carolina. Um, before we move to that, I just want to add one comment, and that is that I have had the opportunity to visit the oil sands in, in Alberta and uh, it, it's truly an amazing process. The technology that they are using there uh, is is truly amazing. It is. I've had the had the privilege of, of visiting it uh, while I was uh, ambassador twice, and, and since then a couple of times. And and so it is amazing. And 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 what what sometimes gets lost in the shuffle is the fact that uh, technology has improved greatly there over the last several years, and therefore uh, the the emissions have decreased significantly. Uh, it's much more environmentally sound than it was even five years ago, and, and that technology continues to make it uh, more environmentally friendly. It's, it's, it has a ways to go, uh, but it's interesting to, to note that uh, there are a number of uh, wells in California that produce heavy crude that have higher uh, Greenhouse gas emissions than do the oil sands. So it's uh, it, it's when when it's called the dirtiest oil in the world, that's not exactly true. We have we have to, we have to accept service that in our backyard we have some of the dirt, dirtiest oil in the world. Well, we probably don't really want to advertise that because then they'll be after that as well. Now, you know, at the at the Politico caucus event that we talked about in the last segment with uh, Catherine Templeton, you, one of the, the Keystone Pipeline's biggest, most outspoken opponents, Jane Klebe, was there, but she was not on your panel. Is that correct? That's correct. Did you have an Did you have any interaction with her? She's already commented 
on my column because I quoted her and she's not happy with the quote I used from her. She's already commented on my column online, uh, which I found interesting. You know, I did not. And, and the way they had it set up, we were, we were getting wired and ready for our panel when the majority of the first panel took place. I heard opening comments by the panelists on the first panel, but I did not hear the entire panel, so I, I was not uh, privy to some of, some of the comments made. Um, and I, I did not have any, uh, I did not see her after I completed my panel, so uh, we did not have a conversation. I know she was very active in Nebraska, and I also know that in hindsight, uh, perhaps um, the um, Trans-Canada, Trans-Canada might might have done some other things regarding the, the route uh, taken in, in Nebraska uh, and done a little more homework on that. But uh, the bottom line is, uh, you know, we had this after six years of delay, 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 the president rejected the pipeline, uh, 800,000 barrels of oil coming from Canada to, to the U.S. We're still getting oil from people that don't like us, like Venezuela. And if you open up this pipeline, you, 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 could, you could actually in a few years basically stop receiving oil from Venezuela. Uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be dependent on their oil. So it, it, just, it, it absolutely defies logic uh, not, to, not to take this oil from, from a friend and ally. Uh, of all the countries we import oil from, Venezuela and, and Saudi Arabia and, and um, uh, obviously Mexico, I mean, Canada is the only country that has that has environmental uh, standards in play, and uh, and yet we're 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 denying them uh, increasing their oil imports to the U.S. oil exports to the U.S. At the same time, that makes us uh, still dependent on oil from folks that don't have environmental standards and don't have the same rule of law or the same uh, philosophy as the U.S. does, and quite frankly, in some cases, don't like us. Yeah, it's, it's obvious that uh, while you are no longer the ambassador to Canada, that you have not lost your passion for this particular project. <laughs> well, I'm, I am a fan of Canada, but I'm, I'm also a fan of good old common sense. And yeah. I'm even a yeah, bigger well, fan agree. of the United States of America. And it just, it, 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 it just to me... Makes no sense. It's it's a it's a colossal cop out for us to to treat our best friend or, or should be our best friend and ally this way. I mean it. It I was there four years. I can tell you how how um, it's, uh, how we treat each other. You know resonates in Canada. They were uh, in 05 area. Canada was uh, in general was not happy with the U.S. the way we uh, were treating them with uh, softwood lumber and. Uh, Heavy uh, tariffs we were imposing on their lumber coming to the U.S. Uh, the prime minister and the president got together in '06 and resolved to solve it, and they did, and 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 it made the relationship stronger. Um, this rejection of the pipeline and the way Canada was treated, delay after delay after delay, uh, has a, has had a negative effect, I think, on the relationship. Many people in Canada simply do not believe that the U.S. has treated them fairly. Uh, on this issue, and and we want the relationship to be as strong as possible, and we want the leaders to get along. Uh, but um, this was this was not a positive step toward that relationship. Yeah, 
We've just got now just a couple minutes left, Ambassador. Uh, can you can we jump quickly to uh, the South Carolina Politico caucus experience because uh, it, it really showed a dramatic difference in the parties as far as energy um, and and climate change. Can you address kind of what well, you no question there? about it? You, the, the panelists looked like uh, some of us were Mars and the others were from Venus. I mean, it was just. <laughs> completely a polar opposite in the views. Uh, I mean, I, I think we could start out by saying we all, we all agree on, uh, on, the, on the philosophy that, uh, you know, that, 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 that the, the energy policy of, uh, you know, all is good and that we should uh, we're, we're getting energy from, um, from, from all sources. But uh, unfortunately, the bottom, bottom line is that, uh, this administration hasn't been doing that. They've sort of picked some winners and losers, and, and obviously have, have gone after the coal industry uh, with EPA regulations. So uh, while we could all agree all above approaches is, is is the best way to to meet America's energy needs and to restore the somewhat anemic uh, economy we have. Um, it really isn't the current approach by the administration because you've got a an EPA uh, that's promulgated rules that, that penalizes and 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 severely regulates uh, fossil fuel, especially uh, especially coal, and so that's why the um, Supreme Court decision. There was even disagreement about what it said, but the Supreme Court decision a week ago that for the first time ever uh, halted a regulation from taking effect prior to. Any disposition of that regulation, good or bad, pro or con, at the lower court uh, was was significant. Uh, so the EPA was stopped in its tracks, uh, and until the until the lower court can rule, and then and then until the Supreme Court ultimately rules on it. So it 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 it, it certainly buys time for for the coal industry, but it, it was a, a a real slap in the face to EPA and. There was even disagreement on the panel as to what that meant. Truly, it was not a decision on the merits, but for the Supreme Court to issue that basically injunction against EPA uh, before any hearing on the merits, never been done before. So it was pretty significant. Yeah. It, it was a dramatic week in the, in the energy news world. So, Ambassador David Wilkins, I appreciate you joining us. We're out of time. In fact, we're over time. But I appreciate you sharing your insights with us, and I encourage our listeners to check out my column, which has a link uh, to the caucus, the Politico Caucus in South Carolina, that you might find uh, interesting to listen to, where David Wilkins was one of the featured guests. Thanks for joining us on America's Voice for Energy. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. 
More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we've been talking about some new friends that I've made through the Politico Caucus uh, process. Uh, their panel of experts that they reach out to, uh, inside, political insiders. And our first three guests today are folks that have never been on the show with me before, folks that I've never met. And uh, we had a great time with Catherine Templeton and Ambassador Wilkins, and I'm expecting that we will have a wonderful time in this third segment, as well with Mike McKenna, who is president of MWR Strategies. And Mike was one of the panelists at the South Carolina Politico event that I mentioned earlier, and uh, his comments were in my column, and after I heard Mike on the Politico event uh, video, I'm pretty sure I know which comments are his from the uh, the article that I reference in my column. So, Mike, I'm glad to make your acquaintance, and thanks for joining me today on America's Voice for Energy. Yeah, thanks for having me. So the Politico caucus environment day, I understand that after each debate or maybe other major political events, they send out survey questions to those of you who are who have agreed uh, to answer these questions, those of you political insiders who have agreed to answer those questions. Is that correct? Yeah. So you all you all answer these questions anonymously, I understand. But I'm pretty certain I know uh, from watching you on the video, I'm pretty sure I know which comments are yours. Is that correct? Um, I Would they be obvious comment. to me? Uh, maybe, but I usually don't comment at all. You know, when, I, when I get asked to do it, I just answer the questions. That um, Let's put it this way. There were several comments that I thought I could have written that. Right. So, you know, certainly okay. not far off from where I am. All right, all right. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, the per- I'm particularly interested with you because after I watched you on the on the video, I reached out to you. You responded, uh, and you sent me a seven page document, which I've since forwarded on to a lot of my colleagues. That's kind of a compilation of polling throughout the last. I don't remember, was it a year uh, time frame or longer time frame, about the public's opinions on climate change. And so I'd like to kind of start with that uh, with you. In the Politico caucus event, you said that energy is a second-tier issue, but that climate change was a fifth-tier issue that nobody cares about it. And, in fact, my column title, um, I got the title from your line, Nobody Cares About Climate Change. So what do you base that on? Well, if you go back and look over, you know, the, the memo I sent you had about uh, 25, 30, almost 30 years of survey data in it, right, across 30 years. So if you go back and look at it, 
Um, what you see is when you ask people what are the most important issues facing the United States, and we ask it slightly different. You know, everyone asks it a slightly different way, but Gallup asks it a certain way, we ask it a certain way. It doesn't really matter, right? When you ask people... And, and, and your you organization does polling, correct? Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And, and, you know, so you have a lot of expertise um, on the topic of polling. I, I hesitate to say that. I know a little something about it. So, <laughs> you know, we... We, I've only been doing it for about uh, 20 years now. So, so, so when you know, when you ask it, it's always at the bottom, right? And even when you give people a list, usually when you don't give them a list, they say, "Well, tell me the most important thing." And you let them answer. It's always at the bottom. Um, you know, let me give you an example of what that means. If you ask a thousand likely voters, and we've done this as recently as two months ago, you ask a thousand likely voters most important issue facing the country, second most important issue facing the country. You know, you get so you get two thousand answers all in. We might have thirty people who say climate change, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we've had we've had as small as six, right, of a thousand. So, you know, it's always denominated in half percent, one percent, something like that. Um, so the bottom of like a long list of twenty issues, bottom. If you gave them a list of things, look, I'm going to read you seven or eight things. Tell me which is the most important thing. Climate change always winds up at the bottom, and it doesn't matter. My surveys, Gallup, Democratic firms, it's all the same, right? It, it, over the last thirty years, it's all looked the same. So that's you know when I got asked that question, I'm like, hey, it's a fifth tier issue, and you know, energy. You ask, you know, you ask the same kind of sequence about energy. You get seven, eight, nine, ten percent, depending on the price of gasoline that day. And that's why I consider it a second tier issue, right? Big issues: national security, immigration, um, uh, the economy, right? Always education. Yeah. Sometimes you know, get numbers in double digits, and then there's a sequence of issues that get numbers in the high single digits, and then there's twenty issues that get mentions, right? Energy is always in that second tier. So I, I wasn't being funny; I was trying to be, you know, analytical. So. So, so your fact, your comment was factual. Yeah, and and that's you know the memo I sent you was. Let me tell you something about that real quick. You know, I, uh, a senator who should have known better um, in a conversation with me said, "Hey, you know, we're losing this. We're losing this debate. The debate about climate change. You know, more people believe this than they used to." And I was like, "That's not right." You know, that's not right. And he says, well, I keep reading in the newspapers or whatever. I'm like, okay, that's not right. That's why I put that memo together. Yeah, that's because the mainstream media supports this agenda. Right. Uh, you know, so what the memo shows is, is that if you look at numbers from 1988, 1990, 1995, they look real similar to numbers from 2016, 2015, 2016. You know, the, the, this, this issue is marked by a, by a really stable set of beliefs, right? It doesn't it's it has not bounced around all that much in the last twenty five years. So, you know But but if there's any movement, the movement uh is it's declining. Fewer people are motivated by this issue um than there were before what I like to call the most expensive and most extensive public relations campaign in the history of the world. Fewer people are are motivated by this now than there than there were twenty five years ago. Yeah, I, you know, I want to. I, I sort of think about it this way. You know, um, I used to have these numbers in my head by heart. You know, Coca Cola spends about fifty billion dollars. You know, anywhere from twenty to fifty billion dollars a year, depending on the year, globally to work their brand, right? And we probably spent two or three times that. Not we, but 
folks on the other side of this issue probably spent two or three times that trying to get people agitated about climate change. If 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 I were a businessman and I had spent $100 billion to, to work a brand and had seen no progress at all in 25 years, I would think I had wasted my money. If Coca-Cola spent $25 billion and nobody knew about Coke, they would think they wasted their money. So, yeah, you're right about one thing. Huge, extensive, expensive campaigns going on for a generation now, and we're right back where we were in 88, 90, 95. And, you know, the the only thing that keeps that from being recognized is, like you say, the fact that the folks who, you know, run a good chunk of the media don't wanna don't wanna write that story. Yeah, they seem really resistant to acknowledging uh that in any way. It, it, you know, which is why, like I said, uh, you know, a senator, a Republican senator from an energy-producing state who should have known better, and that's why I wrote the memo, because I was like, all right, I've heard that enough. I need to do something yeah. about it. So, and now, I'm sure you don't want to tell us that senator's name, but did you did you come back at that senator right there on the spot? Yeah. I said, you know, I, I, I told him what I tell everybody else. You know, you're wrong. And this is not one of those things that, you know, we're, we can have a difference of opinion about, right? There's a lot of data that says you're wrong. You know, it, it, if, if, you know, if you believe in opinion research, if you think it's correct, and I think it's correct more often than not. Well, um, especially when you've got that body of research, as, you know, from your seven-page memo, there's a large body of research there. Right, and it's not just me, right? It's like I said, you can look at anybody's survey data over time, Gallup, has the best, right, so we tend to use that. Um, but truthfully, Democratic surveys, New York Times and CBS News, NBC News and the Wall Street Journal, um, you know, University of Michigan, University of Texas, you, you can look at all their data sets, and over time they tell you the same story. So it's not just one data set. It's not just one snapshot in time. When you look at it over the history of the 30 years we've been doing opinion research on this, it tells a pretty coherent story. And then that yeah. is that... You know, nobody's excited about this, that very, very few people are willing to pay anything for it other than an exceedingly small amount, like denominated in, you know, $10 a year kind of thing. Um, you know, it's just, it's not, you know, and, and the same, you know, there's about 60% of the people who either, you know, voters who either don't believe it's happening or aren't sure of human attribution. So, you know, none of those numbers have changed a lot. And that's, you know, it's it's it's. Um, I, I don't quite understand what what um, what the other what the other side thinks is going to happen here. You know, if if you look at these numbers, they tell you that there's just a heck of a lot of people who disagree with the fundamental premises here. Yeah. So getting to that, then I mean, this has become climate change. Um, and really energy in general, has become an extremely partisan issue. From your, your insider operative status, why do, you see, why do you think that is? What do you see? Well, you know, two things. First off, um, it, really, it really isn't a partisan issue, right? It, there's a whole bunch of people, and they cut across partisan lines, who aren't willing to pay anything for this. And let me give you yeah. a real quick example. We did research in Oregon last summer. Um, yeah, summer 2014. Sorry, summer before last 20, 2014. We asked Oregonians, not exactly um, crazy right wingers, right? Um, how much extra they'd be willing to pay per gallon of gasoline uh, to address climate change. Right? The median answer was three cents. 
Um, let me give you, you know, that that would translate out into a carbon tax of about $3 a ton. The Obama administration um, just proposed in their most recent budget a, ga- a gasoline tax of $0.25 cents per gallon, right? Yes. So that $0.25 cents is way, way, way out there, even for the crazy greenies in Oregon, right? So, and I put the crazy greenies in Oregon in quotes, right? Because Oregon's, you know, mostly like everybody else in America, right? They're sensible people. So, um, we ask the same question in Washington, state of Washington. Their median number is about a half a cent a gallon. So, there's a lot of coherence among people, you know. So, that's thing one. And then thing two is the reason why this is such an important issue now, why it's become such an important issue, why the volumes come up on it so much is because... You know, Democratic Party is, um, you know, used to be the party of, of um, you know, people who are comfortable with guns, Roman Catholics, I myself am one, um, union folks, and like like that. But, you know, nowadays the Democratic Party is, of course, the party of, um, you know, government employee uh, unions, right, and environmentalists. You know, to a large extent, the environmental community um, drives the agenda of the, of the Democratic Party. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're about out of time, Mike. Do you have 15 minutes to stay with me through the next segment? Sure, absolutely. Okay, well, great. We're going to take a break then right now, and we're going to come back with more with Mike McKenna because I'm just fascinated with this conversation, and fortunately I have the ability to uh, to go with you for another segment. So please stay tuned with us on America's Voice for Energy, and we'll be right back. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of America's Voice for Energy. I'm grateful that my previous guest, Mike McKenna, is able to stay over with us because the conversation was so fascinating, and we're talking about climate change and the the kind of the partisan divide between Republicans and Democrats on energy issues and, more specifically, this climate change issue. So, Mike, if you want to kind of pick up where where we left off when I interrupted you to say we were out of time, um, please go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, the, where, we, where we left it was, there's not really a big partisan divide among normal Americans, right? Normal Americans don't think, much of, don't think much of this, don't worry too much about it, aren't willing to pay anything for it, right? Where there is a problem is, you know, the Democratic Party has become, you know, they used to have rural voters, now they don't. They used to have blue-collar voters, now they don't. You know, they've become the party of the environmental movement, and the environmentalists really drive the Democratic agenda. And, you know, it's backed by hedge fund money, you know, folks like Tom Steyer. Right. Um, you know, guys like that. So, you know, it's not so much that it's a, it's a, it's a partisan divide out there in the, in the streets. It's partisan divide because the Democratic elites really want to drive this thing. 
And, you know, and like I said, the, the, the clearest example I can think of is President Obama's last budget, the one he just submitted a couple weeks back, included a 25-cent a gallon gas tax, gasoline tax. Which, you know is, which, is, which is what he referenced as the $10 a barrel tax on oil, correct? Right. And... Right, and he actually identified it as a ten dollars fee, not a tax. Um, but you know, it's funny because it's essentially a carbon tax. Well, it's an energy tax, right? Carbon tax, call it what you want. It's a it's a tax on people who use gasoline, who use natural gas to heat their houses or oil, um, who you know rely on electricity generated by anything other than wind and solar and nuclear. So, you know, it's it's bad mojo. But but the important thing is is that. There's no tolerance for that among voters. Um, you know, that's a that's a thing that's real popular in the elites in places like New York and Boston, San Francisco, L.A. You know, I guarantee in places like Kansas City, Des Moines, um, <laughs> Pittsburgh, you know, people are like, you're out of your mind. I'm not going to do that. But yet, but yet Bernie Sanders seems to be very popular in some of these places, and his policies on energy would be far worse than President Obama's. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean he's Bernie, the only can—he's the only candidate out there that's even daring to utter the words climate change. Yeah, I, you know, I like Bernie Sanders, and I—I I, I think his candidacy is really refreshing and good for America. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, because unlike a lot of politicians, he's not playing hide the ball. You know, he, he just tells you, look, here's what I think. That's true. Right? It, mm-hmm. You know, if I was in charge, I would do this, and. I think what he wants to do is crazy, and I think most Americans would reject it, and truthfully, most Democrats are probably going to reject it. Um, but it's healthy, right? I think all candidates should say what they're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. If you know, And what Sanders has said is, if elected, I'm going to make your energy more expensive because I think the environment's more important than, than your own. Well, I don't know that he said it quite that clear. I don't, know. I don't know that his supporters have a clear vision in their head that if they vote for Sanders, they're going to have more expensive energy. Do you? No, but I guarantee if you know if, if he ever runs and um, I have I'm anywhere near a campaign that runs against him, that's going to be the first thing. Yeah. No. Hey, this. Hey, fellas. You know this is all good, and you should do it if you want to do it. But you got to understand, it's going to mean higher energy costs. Well, you yeah. know, you you've probably seen this elsewhere, but uh, you know, I'm based. Our my organization is based in New Mexico. And uh, like I said, others have probably done this as well. I just happen to have the experience with New Mexico. And in New Mexico, our primary utility company is called PNM, Public Utility Company of New Mexico, PNM. And they had, I don't know if they still do, uh, they had a program at one point that was called the Blue Sky Initiative. And it was for people who wanted to pay more money to have a higher percentage of renewable energy. And the program was a huge failure. Nobody, basically, nobody signed up for it. Yeah, and we've seen that kind of thing go on around the country. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about that. I was doing a focus group for a, a, a relatively a modest-sized Midwestern utility. Had the same program. I can't remember what the name of it was, but during the focus groups and had all the corporate guys. Um, sitting um, behind observing the group, I said, look, have you ever heard about whatever the name of the program was? Silence in the room, right? Asked the second focus group, silence in the room. They had, not only had they not signed up for it, they hadn't even heard about it. And, of course, I said, look, if you, you, know, if you, if you had heard about it, here's the program, here's what it is, would you be interested in signing up for it? 
And everyone's like, no, no, I'm not interested in it. And, you know, like I said, it's a little bit like, again, I hate to come back to it, but the president's 25 cent a gallon gas tax. We're, if you were get, if you were getting gasoline for free, you still would not be interested in giving the federal government twenty five cents a gallon. And you know everyone's everyone says, well, gas prices are low, so no one's going to care. I guarantee you, nobody wants to give the federal government any more money than they absolutely have to. Yeah, well, so, I mean, nobody nobody wants an increase in taxes for anything, and for that reason, I have always kind of advocated. Now, I'm against cap and trade, and I'm against putting a price on carbon. Period. But if you're going to do it, I have always said, do, call it, do it as a carbon tax. That way it's honest. That way the people see it clearly. For, for a cap-and-trade, if that ever had gotten through, which hallelujah did not, but a cap-and-trade would be buried and priced into everything, and the average consumer wouldn't realize it. But right. if you have a carbon tax, it's really clear, A, you voted this in, you legislator, my congressman, my senator, whatever, you voted to raise taxes, and, and they've got to be, you know, carry that, that burden. And I think it, by calling it a tax, the public is far less, you know, willing to go with it. Right. And coming back to Bernie Sanders, hence my admiration for Bernie Sanders, unlike a lot of people, he's pretty clear. He, he, he doesn't hide a yeah. lot of stuff. And, you know, so, you're like, okay, I know this is going to cost a bunch of money, but here's what I think the benefit of it is. And, you know, the president, again, finally in his last budget, right, came clear on what he really wants to do. He really wants to make energy more expensive. And so I appreciate the clarity. And he really sides with the green movement versus the unions. I've done several interviews in the past on this show um, on Keystone Pipeline, and we talked with Ambassador Wilkins uh, in the second segment of the show about the Keystone Pipeline. And when I talked to you, I had union representatives on my show talking about this, and they genuinely thought that um, – Keystone was going to get approved because the union vote is so important to Democrats. And, and I honestly was surprised when um, President Obama vetoed the bill that was passed a year ago that there were not, the unions didn't have enough clout these days to go bend a few senators' arms. I mean, we were only short, I don't remember, it was four or five senators to have a veto-proof majority, and, and uh, I found it shocking that uh, they were not able to bring those Democrats on board. As you said, the Democratic Party has really changed dramatically. Yeah, and, you know, that's the bottom line, right? The environmentalists are much more important than the building and construction union guys. You know, if, if the Republican Party was a different group of people, you know, they'd recognize this moment for what it is. Oh, I wish they would. Can you influence them at all? You're you're an influencer. You're an insider. I, I <laughs> wish. I agree with you. It makes me crazy that the Republicans can't, and maybe they have. I mean, you know, the reality is Obama's war on coal has, has turned the Kentucky governor's mansion into a Republican residence for the first time in, in like, 40 years or something, and, and West Virginia has just passed right to work. Uh, so we, we're definitely seeing movement. 
Yeah, it, it, I'm a big believer that everybody learns in their own time, uh, but they all learn eventually. And, you know, it's it's one of those things. It, I, I, I'm certain that a generation from now, union folks will be Republican folks. Um, I'm just not If there's sure any union folks going. left. I'm... I'm hopeful. How about if I Well, uh, unions that are not SCEIU or whatever those letters are. Like I said, working unions, right? Guys who right, right. I mean, I mean I, you know, I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm from union households myself, and, you know, I, I, I believe in making stuff in this country, and I'm not at all opposed to union guys making stuff. So but I find yeah, myself well, a minority in a lot of conversations in the Republican Party, so... <laughs> well, I was at I was at a, a hearing with the EPA on the clean power plan in Atlanta, and uh, all, all the union guys were there. And they were there wearing their camouflage T-shirts with the union uh, stuff on them. And I got a picture of myself taken with all the union guys with them kind of holding me up, you know, like in an arm. You know, they made a chair for me out of their arms, and I sat on it. And you know, we were all good pals for that day because they were so pleased that I uh, with what I said, speaking out against the clean power plan. Mike, we've only got a few minutes left. Can we go back to the Politico caucus event in South Carolina for a moment? Uh, And you on the stage were Republicans and Democrats. Can you kind of give us kind of a firsthand experience of what you saw and the difference in uh, the folks who were there, the different attitudes towards energy and climate change? Yeah, I think, you know, the... the, um the, the fellow who was there from the Clinton campaign, a guy named Trevor Hauser, a pretty smart kid. He, he's not unlike folks in D.C., a lot of young kids in D.C. He knows a lot of facts. He knows a lot of policy stuff. He has a little trouble, like the Clinton guys, he has a little trouble um, imagining the scope of the importance of energy to the American economy. He has a little trouble imagining the scope of damage that some of these regulations do to actual people. And he has a little trouble um sort of disconnecting from the propaganda, right? He's a talking points guy. Just like yeah, he definitely right? definitely was spewing the talking points, no question. Yeah, you know, which kind of disappointed me. I thought we were actually going to have a conversation. And, you know, Jane um, Klebe was there from Bold, Alaska. You know, she was there more or less as a, as a I don't want to say representative, but she was there representing um, sort of the Bernie Sanders outlook on the world. Um, you know, she um, has zero appreciation for the actual energy system that we have now, right? That that, that they all think that, that somehow miraculously we're just going to transfer to green energy. Right, exactly. You know, that that that, that 90% of our 85, 88%, 88% of our energy is is coal, oil, gas, nuclear, right? Solid, boring, important stuff that people depend on. Um, gasoline, diesel to get where they're going. That families depend on natural gas to keep them warm, and you know they got to have dependable electricity. And you know the the, the the Sanders folks and Jane was no exception. Sort of imagine a world that in which they're the really smart guys and all the engineers and scientists and innovators who work to get us all that oil, gas, nuclear, coal that we need. Those guys are idiots. They don't know what they're yeah. doing. So, Mike, Mike, Mike we're, out, we're out of time again. I mean, I'm so glad I kept you for this extra segment, and uh, I'm sure that we'll have you back again on America's Voice for Energy when the topic warrants. Is your information available for our listeners somewhere? Oh, uh, yeah, I have a, I have a website, uh, um, 
And you were going to ask me that, nwrstrat.com, sorry. And I, I post my memos on there from time to time. So, so but your seven-page memo that you sent me is not on your website. Is that correct? I think it may be. I'll tell you what. If it's not, I'll have it posted uh, shortly. Okay. And that way people can listen. I appreciate you joining us today, uh, Mike, on on uh, America's Voice for Energy. And for all, all of you out there that are listening, thanks for joining us for this important conversation uh, on the 2016 campaign and uh, the fact that nobody cares about climate change. Please join us again next week for America's Voice for Energy. You're listening to America's Web Radio, your voice in the matter. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.